Hi guys. Welcome. I am so glad you're all here. You made it. You found the Mountain View Room. I think that's what this is called. The Mountain View Room. You made it. Congrats. Um, I am so glad that you've decided to join me here today to dive in more to the topic of forgiveness. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's felt pretty daunting to try to figure this out. Um, even though forgiveness is such a common and essential part of the Christian life, it gets really confusing and hard. Like we throw this word around, forgiveness, but I'm not sure we've really actually nailed down. I'm not sure that I've really nailed down before this, like what this actually means or how to do it. Like there's all these things, like what if the person dies before we can talk to them? What about if we still think about what the person does? You know, have I actually forgiven them if I can't just forgive it and forget it? Um, does the person have to ask me for forgiveness? Is forgiveness just a cliche? Are they just these words that we throw out there that doesn't actually do anything? And then to add to all of those intellectual questions, I have been thinking about all of you who might come to a breakout on forgiveness, and I think it just is a deeply personal topic. Like, I'm sure some of you are here today because you have been deeply hurt by others, and you want to know if you can possibly forgive them. And I'm sure some of you are here today because you have deeply wounded others, and you want to know if you can be forgiven by them. So I don't take that lightly, and I am so thankful that you want to seek it out more. And even if you're like, I don't fit into either of those camps, I can confidently say that you have been sinned against, or you, and, not or, and you have sinned against someone else. Maybe today, maybe walking into this room, um, and I can say that confidently because this side of glory, our days will be filled with sinning against others and others sinning against us. So... We need this topic. We need to talk about forgiveness. But again, it's hard to stand here knowing that in the short time I have with you all, that I probably won't be able to satisfactorily answer those questions. And I know that I'm not going to be able to speak into all of the situations that you're all bringing into the room. And that's really hard. But I would ask you that after we leave today, please just keep pondering and percolating and thinking about these things, the things we might discuss here. Please take it and compare it to scripture. Talk to your staff worker. Uh, feel free to talk to me. Um, yeah, I've wrestled through this, so I've come to some conclusions that I'm going to share. Um, but please go to God's word. It is sufficient, and it will, yeah, continue, as, continue to help you as you explore this. So there's Things, too, that are just too wonderful for us to understand. Like, you'll see on your outline on the scripture side, which is on page 22 and 23, um, if you have it, there's a verse there from Colossians that says, it's Colossians 3, 12 through 13, says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This scripture and the principle that Christians are called to forgive as they've been forgiven by the Lord is going to be one of our working definitions today so that that forgiveness from the Lord is what flows into our forgiveness of others. 
And that forgiveness, our forgiveness from the Lord that Shannon was just <laughs> talking about upstairs, it's just so marvelous. It's so beyond us to be able to fit into this time. I mean, the king of the universe sent his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him would be forgiven and have eternal life. And that son, Jesus, he died a bloody death on the cross, dying the death we deserved to pay the cost of our sins so that we could be forgiven. So we could spend the rest of our lives unpacking that forgiveness. Um, so I suppose my disclaimer as we start is that you might leave here today unsatisfied in understanding this horizontal, relational forgiveness. But if nothing else, please leave here pondering the vertical forgiveness offered by Christ. And then you'll be able to ponder, how does that flow into my forgiveness to others? So that's the disclaimer. Um, and I'm so thankful that though it's beyond us in many ways, that the Father has made forgiveness accessible to us through his Son. And I've been praying that our time together would be helpful for you and for me. So let me pray now and ask the Lord for help as we do this. So, Father, thank you that we can be forgiven through your sin, that we can come to you and ask, um, and that because of that we can go to one another and forgive one another. Would you help us now to understand this more intellectually and practically and help us go out as people who will forgive one another? Um, help us go out knowing more of how you have forgiven us and how we can forgive others. Help me, Lord. Help me to be clear. Um, and, yeah, would you use this time for your glory? And all of this we ask in your son's name. Amen. So to start off, you guys are actually going to talk a little bit. I have a question for you. So what are some things you've heard about forgiveness generally in our culture? And there's mics going around. Please talk into the mic for the recording. So maybe you've heard stuff on campus or in church or in songs. And I don't need you to say, like, it's right or wrong. Just what have you heard? Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. What else you guys heard? Forgiveness takes time. Forgiveness takes time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is quite like forgiveness. I feel like our culture doesn't like forgiveness. Like we're like, mm -hmm. they're toxic. Like leave them, like, push them to the side, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so cut them off instead of forgive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, forgiveness doesn't mean things are over. Um, there are, like, still consequences for your actions even after you say you've forgiven people, and also it doesn't always mean that you feel better after you've done it. Mm -hmm. So consequences, feelings... Um, yeah, I've just, like, heard that you'll know, like, if you've, like, truly forgiven someone, if, like, you can kind of, like, talk about it, or if it's brung up, or if you see them and, like, you don't have, like, any, like, feelings, which I don't know how I feel about that one, <laughs> but you know what I mean, but, like, you just kind of, like, can just be content in that, if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah, so, like, you can see them or talk about it, and it doesn't, like, stir up things. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's when you know. 
I've heard people say before that forgiveness is too much work and revenge is easier. Mm, revenge is easier. Yeah. <laughs> you got snaps. Oh, yes. I think the words sound antiquated these days. Like, I'm sorry is normal. But like, will you forgive me sounds like freakishly formal or weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. And yeah, going off of some of what you guys shared, um, let's unpack some of these things. So I think sometimes it's easier to define something by what it's not than what it is. So that's where we're going to start. Your first point is forgiveness is not. And I, yeah, like you guys said, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness that are thrown around. So your first fill in there on your point A is forgetting. So forgiveness is not, biblically speaking, forgetting. And I think, like you guys said, one of the major things we hear in culture is forgive and forget. I'm sure you've heard it before. You know, be like Elsa, just let it go. But I think that's actually a lot more of forgetting than forgiving. And in Christian circles, I think we, we say these things because of scripture like Jeremiah 31, 34. And that scripture says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then he says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So remember the Colossians verse that said, We're called to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And so you're like, okay. But here it says that God will remember their sin no more. So if this is the model to go after, should we forget sin? And first off, I think we have to acknowledge this passage and other ones similar that talk about God forgetting sin. It's typically in poetic way, ways it's referred to. It's a poem. It's not literal, even though like scripture is literal. But this is figurative language. It's poetic. I just went on a little rabbit trail there. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, I think we have to remember too, like God doesn't literally forget because he would cease to be God. He is all-knowing. He cannot forget or he would cease to be the God that he says he is. So no, I, I don't think this forgetting of sin by God referred to here is saying that he's forgetting their sin literally, like he can't even remember it. I think it's saying he is no longer holding their sin against them and it is putting aside of their sin. And so I think we, we can conclude like forgetting is not a mark of forgiveness. I, I think, again, if, if it is going off of this is the way that the Lord forgives, it is a placing of that sin elsewhere. It's not a literal forgetting. And I think, again, I think this forgive and forget is actually just a way for us to like push it out of our minds. I think sometimes it can be really self-protective. Like I don't have to acknowledge how painful this is if I can just forget it and push it aside. I don't have to think about it. And I think there's even times that the forgive and forget mentality can be used to withhold justice from people, from the offended party. Um, I have a friend who was sexually abused in her church and I asked her if, she could, if I could share this and she said yes, but I'm still not gonna share her name. Um, but unfortunately hers is a too common story today that we're hearing more and more, praise God, it's coming to light. But this perpetrator was forgiven by her church and my friend wanted to pursue justice and, and restrictive measures within the church to protect herself and other people. And 
even to pursue justice outside the church because a crime had been committed, but she was told to forgive and forget. And she was told that because the church had forgiven the offender, that she needed to do likewise and not create disunity. And if I can just take a moment to say, if, if this has been used against you in this way to withhold justice from you, I am so sorry. Like, I'm sorry if you've been told to forgive and forget in a way that has dismissed what has happened to you and how you've been hurt and how you've been sinned against. Um, this is not biblical forgiveness. And I do want to give a quick caveat. Like, you might be thinking, like, what about overlooking? Isn't that something the Bible says to do? And yes, there are times we are called to overlook. And scripture says that, that love can cover a multitude of sins. But I think it's a different category. I think overlooking is not the same, again, as forgiveness. Being, being able to overlook means that you can overlook something that has not fractured the relationship enough to need restoration. And I think overlooking is saying, like, yes, there has been an offense, but I don't need to bring it up with the person at this point, and our relationship doesn't need to be reconciled at this point. So just here, um, keep hanging on. I know that's, like, um, a lot. But, again, just let me say that forgetting is not the means to forgive. So forgiveness is not forgetting. And that being said, the next point there, so B on your outline, is that forgiveness is not fast reconciliation. So it's your next fill-in. It is not fast reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as an instant restoration of the relationship. And that's often because forgiveness doesn't mean that there's no consequences. We live in a fallen world, and there are aftershocks of sin in relationship, and those often take time to recognize and restore, and, and forgiveness is needed when there is a broken relationship. Something went wrong. Someone sinned against the other, and the relationship was broken. Forgiveness, biblically speaking, is always unto restored relationship. God forgave us because the relationship with him, with him was broken and needed restoration. So Jesus, again, paid the cost of the, of the offense of our sin to forgive and reconcile us in order to make that relationship right. That, our, that forgiveness was unto restored relationship with the Lord. So when you repent and Jesus becomes the Lord and Savior of your life, your sins are forgiven. That's called justification. Shannon was talking about it upstairs, to be justified. And so legally, you are forgiven before God. Your sins are forgiven. And again, he's placed them on Christ. But the rest of your life here, before you die, or Jesus comes back, is the relationship between you and God being progressively restored. You being made more and more into the image of Jesus so that that relationship can, again, just be restored so you can grow closer to the Lord. And that is the process called sanctification, looking more and more like the forgiven person you were declared to be. And all of this leads up to the hope that Megan was talking about last night, that one day we will see God face to face in glory and that relationship will be totally restored. So again, since our forgiveness looks like God's forgiveness of us, it's also a one-time event that leads to this process. There, 
is no justification without sanctification. And likewise, on the horizontal between other people, forgiveness and reconciliation are meant to go hand in hand. And I know that's messy. It's not as simple as just saying they go hand in hand, but forgiveness is always meant to go unto restoration of the relationship. And just like sanctification, just like working out our own messiness and sin is hard, so is reconciliation. So the quote at the top of your outline from Chris Bronze, I think, says it helpfully, um, even if it's very heady, but it says, forgiveness is the commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. And this is what, like, Lauren was saying, too, when we asked the question originally, like, what does our culture say? Um, and she mentioned that sometimes we think, like, consequences aren't eliminated. But here, Chris Bronze argues, and I, I would agree with him, that consequences are not necessarily eliminated in forgiveness. In fact, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to give someone consequences. And that takes time. And reconciliation takes time. So just like forgetting is not the means to forgive, fast reconciliation is not the proof of forgiveness. Reconciliation isn't always, and I would even say usually is not fast. It's not instant. But that does not mean that forgiveness has not been extended. Again, God's forgiveness of us is a one-time event which leads to the ongoing process of us being restored in relationship to him. So similarly, the purpose of our forgiveness is to move on to restoration, but it just, it takes time. There's things to work through. There's trust to be rebuilt. So godly parents, they discipline their children and it's for restored relationships between their children, one another, with the parent, and with God himself. And that is so loving for them to do. And that does not mean they haven't forgiven their child. It means that they love them and they want to see restoration. And they start that with forgiveness that moves unto restoration between that child and others. And yeah, there are some relationships that might not be totally restored until Jesus comes back. But we're working unto that. So things still get even more confusing living in this broken world because, again, sometimes people have died before there's any chance for forgiveness or reconciliation. Sometimes the other person has no interest in a relationship. Sometimes we don't know the person who cut you off in traffic or, <laughs> on a more serious note, the person who sexually assaulted you. In those cases, I would suggest that, biblically speaking, forgiveness isn't what is being discussed because there's no relationship to be restored. There was sin, but it wasn't in the context of a relationship. And yet, in those cases, there is still hope that you don't have to hold anger against that person. And Christians, we are never to pursue vengeance. We aren't to be people who seek revenge, as hard and as painful as this can be. Like you said earlier, revenge is easier. And this might sound like just semantics, like, what is forgiveness and which one's not. But I'm not suggesting that this is a magical phrase, like I forgive you and all is well. Um, 
But I do think forgiveness is supernatural and it's powerful. So these nuances do matter. And so just to recap, forgiveness is always in the context of a relationship for the purpose of restoring a broken relationship. But forgiveness is not necessarily fast reconciliation. So I hope you're tracking. You might still be confused. That's okay. Hang in there. Um, I hope we can continue to tease this out, particularly as we get to what forgiveness is. But for now, I think this is an appropriate time to note that the nature of what needs to be forgiven is not a feeling. So forgiveness is not a feeling. That's C. Your feelings cannot be the determining factor in whether a person has sinned against you. And they cannot be the determining factor of when you can or have forgiven someone. Feelings can be awesome indicators. They can point to a possible fractured relationship. But just because you're angry that your roommate did not wash the dishes does not mean they've sinned against you. Maybe they did. Maybe they broke their word. And maybe they said they were going to wash them and then they didn't. Or maybe just because you're annoyed that someone hasn't texted you back, that doesn't mean they have sinned against you. Maybe it does. But again, I just would caution you against using your emotions to like, be the determining factor that someone has sinned. Your emotions are good gifts from God, and I'm not trying to invalidate them and saying that they have no place here. What I'm saying is I'd use them more as an indicator, like this is something that can be explored more. And just consider, like, was there a, some violation in the relationship that needs to be addressed and forgiven? So your emotions don't get to declare that sin and broken relationships have occurred. Let scripture define and determine where there is sin. Forgiveness is not a feeling. And on this same vein of thought, like, I think we often have an idea that forgiveness doesn't happen or hasn't happened until our feelings change. And again, emotions are a helpful indicator, but just be cautious about letting them be the dictators. We sometimes think that somehow we've forgiven when we're no longer angry or sad or hurt, but frankly, that's just not the reality. Can you imagine if that was how Jesus thought about forgiving us? Before Jesus went to the cross, it says in scripture that he was sorrowful unto death. He begged his father that this cup, the punishment for our sins might be taken from him, that he wouldn't have to bear this cost. So if Jesus waited until he felt like forgiving us, we would be without hope. But praise God, that is not the reality. He went to the cross even when he was sorrowful unto death in order to offer us forgiveness and bring us back into restored relationship with God. And then he rose again to life, proving that this forgiveness was true. He didn't wait to feel like doing it. So this, this, sisters, is the pattern that we get to follow. We don't have to wait to feel like forgiving someone. Because of Jesus, those who have been forgiven through his sacrifice are now empowered to forgive others through this pattern of death and resurrection of relationship. Forgiveness based on feelings would be shallow, and frankly, it's not really forgiveness. It is not a feeling. But praise God, there is hope to truly forgive and restore broken relationships because of Jesus and his forgiveness. So we spent a lot of time talking about what forgiveness is not. 
So let's move on to what it is. Um, let me just read again this Chris Bronze quote at the top. So forgiveness is the commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. So we covered part of this definition in the consequences and reconciliation, but let's start off with this word pardon. In exploring, in exploring the idea of pardon and moral liability, it's been helpful for me to think of pardon and, and all of this as a for, uh, or forgiveness in terms of a canceled debt. So your first fill in here, that's what it is. It is a canceled debt, a forgiven debt. So especially in the Gospel of Matthew, the flavor of the word for forgiveness, it's, it's a financial term. In Matthew 18, which... Some of you got like the handout, um, but you can write it down. If you have a Bible, feel free to check it out. Um, we're not going to like do a deep dive into it, but I'd, yeah, just check out Matthew 18 and this parable that Jesus tells. And he tells this parable about a canceled debt after he's asked about forgiveness. This servant is forgiven a tremendous debt by a king, and then he refuses to give forgiveness to a much smaller debt that another servant owes him. And Jesus Jesus uses these financial terms to help our finite brains understand this marvelous reality of forgiveness. So, so how does this help us? How does it play out in real life? So you may have heard this common cultural phrase of, they forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. Like, I'm, yeah, sure you've heard it somewhere before about not being able to forgive yourself. But biblically speaking, if we think of forgiveness like a canceled debt, that can't be a thing. I cannot owe myself $20. It has to be with someone else. So essentially what we're saying when we say I don't forgive myself is to say we don't believe God or the other person is saying the truth when they say they've forgiven us. You are calling the king a liar. And it's like when it would be like, not when, but if Biden were to cancel my student loans and me saying, you know I can't forgive my debt, so I keep trying to monthly pay the financers. They would probably still take my money, but <laughs> how ridiculous would that be? And again, it would be me calling the president a liar, saying my debt is canceled. So to say that you're, you can't forgive yourself is, again, just calling the one you've offended or the one you owe a liar. And so do you see how thinking of it as a canceled debt, as you think about forgiveness, like, okay, putting it in financial terms, like, I can understand this. And Jesus is so kind to give us these ways to understand these, again, these marvelous realities. So, yeah, I just encourage you, like, when you're thinking through it, how can I think about this as a canceled debt? And then your next fill-in, so a canceled debt, and now the next one is forgiveness is conditional. And especially if you've been in the church for a while, I think this point in particular might be difficult to hear and wrap our heads around. I know it was for me. Like, um, but again, like I said at the start, please take time to ponder, look at scripture, ask for help. Um, but as I've studied the word, I've become more convinced that scripture would actually say that forgiveness is conditional. Again, remember that our forgiveness of others flows from God's forgiveness of us. And all through scripture, we can see that God does not forgive everyone. It's conditional. So let me just give you a couple examples. Um, again, it's on the handout. Um, I know not everyone got one, but the one, um, I'll just let you know where the references are. So 
1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Do you notice the conditional there? If we confess. Or the well-known verse that Shannon quoted upstairs, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the conditional nature of this? God loved the whole world, but only those who believe are saved and furthermore forgiven. The offer of forgiveness is open for all, but only those who repent and ask for forgiveness are forgiven. Yet for those who ask, God forgives eagerly and readily. So as our forgiveness looks like God, we who have been forgiven must be ready to forgive anyone who asks. But we actually aren't called to forgive those who don't repent and ask for your forgiveness. This isn't to say that someone has to earn our forgiveness or that we have to earn God's forgiveness. That's a different thing. But repentance is required for us to accept this gift of forgiveness that is offered to us on the cross. And it's, again, it needs to be with both God and us and with us and others. There needs to be some acceptance of this gift and some request for this gift. Um, so it isn't earned or contingent on works, but it is conditional on repentance. So forgiveness is conditional. And this brings us to the final subpoint under what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is a commitment. It is a commitment both to the other person's good and a commitment to working towards restoration. So remember that this doesn't mean it will be fast or immediate or that there won't be consequences, but there is a commitment to this slow process of reconciling the relationship. It isn't a feeling, but it's a commitment, a declaration of intent. So it's to their good. It's a commitment to their good. So when someone sins against us and damages the relationship, it's really easy to want vengeance. We want them to be hurt too. We want them to pay the way that we have felt the need to be paying. Someone has to pay it because there's a debt. So this is actually natural to want forgiveness, to want vengeance. Forgiveness is supernatural. And so forgiveness does the opposite of vengeance. It says you want what is good for them and will not try to demand that they pay for their relational debt. Um, one time I saw this in my own life was when I was driving with my little niece. She's 10 now, but she was three at the time. And we were driving, and she kept telling me about how much her belly hurt, like over and over again. And I couldn't do anything. Like, we had to keep going, and I didn't know if it was serious. Um, so eventually I just yelled at her, and I was like, I can't do anything. Stop complaining. Um, and she was quiet for a couple seconds. And then she said in her cute little voice, Cassie, why did you yell at me? And I just melted. Um, I might cry right now. And I said, I yelled because I was angry. And I got angry because it came out of my bad heart. I need a new heart so that good things can come out of it. I said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for yelling at you? She said yes. And then a couple minutes later, um, she said, Cassie, my belly still hurts. Um, and I was calmer, and I asked if she wanted to pray and ask Jesus for help. 
And she said, yes, as long as you don't look at me. <laughs> so I obliged and continued looking at the road. <laughs> but um, she prayed and she said, Jesus, can you make my belly feel better? And can you give Cassie a better heart? And obviously I wept. Uh, <laughs> and it was one of the greatest prayers anyone has ever prayed for me. My niece was committed to my good. And she probably wasn't thinking this way, but her prayer was wanting me to look more like Jesus, which is the greatest good we could want for another person. My sin had marred me. And praying that I would get a better heart is actually a prayer for my good, that I would display more of the image of God as I was created to. So sometimes I pray that prayer for others, praying that they'd be more restored to Jesus as we're restored to one another, and asking that Jesus would give them and give me a better heart. So that's a commitment to their good. And there's also a commitment to restoration in the relationship. And I've probably belabored this point I'm sorry, but forgiveness is a commitment to restoration. And it's not a guarantee that restoration will be completed or that it will be immediate, but it's saying, I am committed to it. I'm committed to restoration, even though the, rec the relationship was broken. And this will look different in every relationship, in every situation, and it will take wisdom. Again, I'm sorry that I can't talk about every situation that you guys are in right now. I wish I could. Um, but... It is a movement towards the offender, even though it's costly for the offended. So, if your roommate didn't wash the dishes when they told you that they would, and then they ask your forgiveness for not keeping their word, it could mean that you choose not to give them the, the cold shoulder. It could mean that you don't force them to take your turn on the chore chart. Or another example from my own life. So, my dad and I had a pretty rough relationship, and there was a lot that I was angry at him for. And when I was in high school, I told lies about him and actually tried to actively ruin his reputation. And I was incredibly rebellious and just tried to keep him out of my life. Um, and then in college, I became a Christian. And one of the first things that happened was I went home to ask for his forgiveness. And he said, of course I forgive you. I've been praying for you for seven years to become a Christian. And it was a beautiful picture of forgiveness and a, a demonstration that my dad knew that he had been forgiven of more. And he asked my forgiveness too. And the reason I tell that story though is after that, it wasn't that we were the perfect daddy-daughter duo, um, you know, but we did start moving towards one another. I, I would start texting him to ask questions um, in ways I hadn't before. But man did I have to pray before sending those texts, asking the Lord to help me not to be angry and to be courageous. Um, and we committed to talking to each other and spending intentional time together. It, it was a movement towards each other. And it was committing to building trust and not just being suspicious of the other. We would talk about what happened, but it was in a way that wasn't trying to hold the sins of the other over the other one's head. And so there was space to talk and it, we specifically named sins to discuss. But it wasn't to say that we did it perfectly, uh, just that we were committed to working it out slowly and imperfectly. So now you're probably like, okay, that was a lot of theoretical stuff. How do I actually do this? Um, so that's going to be your third point on your outline, how to forgive. 
So how do I make this commitment to canceling someone's debt when someone has really damaged our relationship? I just want to give you some ways to move forward um, towards forgiving someone when you just feel stuck. Um, don't think of these three things as steps, but more like tools in your tool belt. That's why I didn't do one, two, three, it's ABC. Um, but yeah, so just some different tools. And I intentionally didn't put prey on this list because honestly, I think it undergirds all of them and is absolutely necessary. We need to ask God for help to do this supernatural work of imitating him by forgiving others. I was recently listening to this podcast um, and they weren't trying to make any religious claims at all. But the one host made a comment that when he sees forgiveness on the news, it's more striking than if someone were to climb Mount Everest solo. That is striking. Forgiveness is powerful, and a, there's a watching world, and it is more striking than if someone were to free climb Mount Everest solo. So that also means it's really hard. We need help, and the Lord is delighted when his children look like him. So ask him for help in this work that to a broken, sin-filled world is more striking than climbing Mount Everest. So first off, one of your tools, consider the cost. Let's consider the cost of sin. This isn't a vague, they hurt me. And I'm not suggesting that you linger here forever. But this is kind of the opposite of forgive and forget. It's remembering and acknowledging that you were sinned against. It is counting the cost. And if, again, if we think of it like a canceled debt, finances have a specificity. If you lend someone $21.99 because you paid for something and then tell them, oh, it was about $20, then the person pays you back $20 and you have to take on the cost of $1.99, which might not feel like a big deal, but it's money that has still you have had to put forth. And this is far, far more significant when we're talking about relational debt. So remembering and acknowledging the offense, I think allows you to know what cost you are bearing for the other person. Not to hold it against them, but so you can say, okay, this is what's coming out of my pocket. It's not a vague general forgiveness. It's a specific forgiveness for a specific wounding. So how has this person marred the image of God in you and in themselves? We are created to image God, and sin ruins that image. As you do this, I'd even try to think of specific commands in Scripture. Like, what have we been called to to relate to one another? And think, like, how has this not happened? How have you specifically been wronged in a way that's counter to what the Bible calls us to? And as you ask for forgiveness, do the same. What are you asking forgiveness for? How does the offense go against God's design? And name it so that you can line up your understanding with God's design. And this can also help us to actually want good for the other person, to have compassion and be sad that they have deviated from the way God designed us to flourish. It will help us to want them and our relationship to look more like it will if, when we're in glory and to want them to be able to live like it wasn't in a broken world, even though we are existing there now. So you may have heard of Larry Nasser. He formerly worked for the US gymnastics team and sexually assaulted hundreds of girls under the pretext of treating them. And we're gonna watch a testimony, a witness statement from Rachel Den Hollander. 
She's an incredibly brave woman who was one of Nasser's victims. So we're going to watch a little bit of it. And I think she just describes forgiveness well. And I think she does an excellent job of telling Nasser how his depravity has corrupted the image of God in him. So honestly, I'm in awe of this woman, but I'll let her speak for herself. So, um. And Larry, I don't need to tell you what the cost of your abuse has been to me because you got to read my journals, every word of them, because those had to go into evidence to make this happen. But I want you to understand why I made this choice, knowing full well what it was going to cost to get here, and with very little hope of ever succeeding. I did it because it was right. No matter the cost, it was right. And the farthest I can run from what you have become is to daily choose what is right instead of what I want. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. A man defined by his daily choices over and over again to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially, no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness, and so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Throughout this process, I have clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of unjust and just? A man does not call the line crooked unless he first has some idea of straight. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? Larry, I can call what you did evil and wicked because it was. And I know it was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. 
Your straight line is not measured based on your perception or anyone else's perception. And this means I can speak the truth about my abuse without minimization or mitigation, and I can call it evil because I know what goodness is. And this is why I pity you. Because when a person loses the ability to define good and evil, when they cannot define evil, they can no longer define and enjoy what is truly good. When a person can harm another human being, especially a child, without true guilt, they have lost the ability to truly love. If you have the chance, I'd encourage you to listen to her whole testimony. Um, but I hope listening to her now, to Rachel, has been helpful in specifically naming the offense. And if you see how she talks about forgiveness, that it requires repentance. And she's not primarily talking about forgiveness from her, but from the Lord, which she sees as primary. And actually, this leads into the next tool for forgiveness, which is to consider that you have been forgiven. So, like I said, it probably isn't helpful to linger forever on counting the cost, but you could never linger enough on this villain, which is to consider your forgiveness. So remember the parable in Matthew 18 about the king canceling the debt of the servant? Many of you probably have student loans that are waiting for you upon graduation, and loan forgiveness sounds very appealing. In this parable of Matthew 18, um, the servant owed the king 10,000 talents. This amount is unfathomable. I was reading a commentary that this amount is actually more than was in circulation at the time. So he could have the greatest paying job. He could be the Elon Musk of first century, but he could not pay back this debt. This is the debt that Jesus compares to the forgiveness for those who ask that debt forgiveness. And that is far more significant than having your student loans canceled. At least there's enough money in circulation to cancel those. <laughs> this is what you owed God, the king. And if you have asked him to forgive you, the servant, he is gracious to cancel your debt. Yet there's also a warning here at the end of Matthew 18. Jesus ends the parable with the servant not forgiving the other servant of a lesser debt than he had been forgiven. And again, I'm sorry if you don't have the handout. That's totally my fault. But um, it's in Matthew 18 if you want to pull out your Bible or look later. So in Matthew 18, it says, And so his master summoned the servant he forgave and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not now you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's heavy. So in telling this parable, Jesus is showing us the necessity of forgiveness. If someone repents by asking for your forgiveness, you must forgive. So... Keep in mind that this isn't saying that there's no consequences, but we need to be aware that unforgiveness is not an option for the Christian. When you are in Christ, when you are forgiven by God for your unpayable debt, one of the most clear indications is your ability to forgive those who ask. This isn't meant to be a guilt trip, but 
I just want to give you this reminder to maybe in those moments when forgiveness feels impossible, it's because you've forgotten that Jesus accomplished the impossible for you on the cross. So when you feel stuck and unable to forgive, remember what you've been forgiven of. Meditate on the debt that you could not pay and then marvel and praise God that he forgives those who ask. So consider that you are forgiven. And then the final tool I'll leave you with, and honestly it's one that I found most helpful in my own life, is to consider the justice of God. So that's your final fill-in. Consider God's justice. Justice will be satisfied. Debts will not go unpaid. It will be paid by Jesus on the cross or the offender will pay the debt that they've accrued against the Lord. We don't have to seek vengeance because God promises that he is judge. He is the king and he will settle accounts. And I think this is helpful too when the sin isn't in the context of a relationship or when the person isn't repentant or asking for forgiveness. And again, I'm not saying that's a matter of forgiveness, but I think reflecting on God's justice is helpful when there is sin. And in Romans 12, 18 through 19, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Again, it says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So in this verse, it's saying that the way to live with peace, at peace with others is remembering the vengeance of God, God's justice. Trust that he will avenge you. Remember that he sees the wrong done to you, like Shannon was talking about earlier, and that he is working it for your good so that you can live at peace now. And that's way easier said than done. But I think that remembering that God is overall and sees all is just so helpful. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. God is better at executing justice than we are. And again, this isn't me saying that there's no consequences. And it's, again, I think Rachel forgave Larry, but there are natural consequences of sin that need to happen. If there is a crime, we need earthly justice. God has given it to us. But as you are forgiving someone, just remember his justice. Remember that he will do it perfectly. You forgiving someone isn't just letting them off the hook. If they are a brother or sister in Christ, it is saying that this offense has been paid for by the bloody death of Jesus. And if they aren't a Christian, then they will be held accountable to the king. And every sin that we commit against each other is primarily against God himself. So you can forgive now, knowing that the debt they owe the king is much greater, and you can trust that he will call them to account. So when you're struggling to forgive, consider the justice of God. So to end our time today, we're going to do a case study from Scripture on forgiveness. We're going to look at the story of Joseph. Maybe you're familiar with it. Joseph and his dream coat, is that what it's called? Um, But he was one of 12 brothers that, he was actually one of Judah's brothers that we heard about earlier. And he was the favorite son of his father, Joseph was, which made his brothers jealous. So they were actually going to kill Joseph, but instead, per Judah's suggestion, ended up selling him into slavery. 
which took him to Egypt, where he was enslaved and unjustly imprisoned. But the Lord actually lifted him up out of prison and made him second in command of the kingdom. And he helped provide for Egypt in the midst of a great famine. And now, lo and behold, his brothers show up in Egypt to get food since they were also affected by this famine. And he provided food for his family and brought them down to Egypt. But now, where we're going to look at, their father has died and his brothers are afraid of what Joseph might do. So if you guys can break into small groups, and the scripture is on your handout on 22. So if you can break into groups of like three or four, but you can do what you want. Um, and you just try to look at the different principles that we talked about today. Can you see it in this passage? And just talk about what you see. Okay, it sounds like some great conversations are happening. I'm sorry, I cut you off right in the middle of the thought. Um, but if we can just come back together. Wait, oh, sorry, I thought someone was talking to me. Um, so what did you guys talk about? What did you see in this passage? And... Um, there are mic runners again. Remember to wait for the mic. The bone all jump at once. But, yes. Does anyone want to share? You also don't have to. <laughs> One of the things our group was saying was how um, he considered the cost. So, like, in verse 17, um, the, like, emotional cost, how, like, Joseph was weeping, and then in verse um, 21, when he provided for their little ones and spoke kindly to them, so, like, there was a cost that he bore there, too. Yeah. yeah so he considered the cost. Um, something we're talking about right at the end, in the end of verse 17, is where it says, like, that he was weeping, um, and how emotionally, and, like, his feelings, like, we can see, like, he is hurt, and he is upset by this, and, like, he's saddened, yeah. um, but we see like how he didn't allow his feeling to control his forgiveness, um, and he's able to forgive and love them even though he was hurt by them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so we actually spent most of our time just talking about the story of, of Joseph and kind of explaining the, the background mm -hmm. of, of, of that. Um, but something that, I noticed is we were talking about how the brothers like lied to Joseph when they came to him to, for forgiveness at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think often that's how we come to God is, mm -hmm. is trying to like, Oh, well actually here's like a possibly compelling reason to forgive me. And yeah. it's, it's not actually, um, but it's just beautiful that despite like their flaws, like coming to Joseph, that, that Joseph still forgave them knowing like, yeah, all of the sin that they had committed and probably knowing that like it's still around because they're still flawed humans, but the beauty of, of forgiveness despite like sin. Yeah. And even like an imperfect request for forgiveness yeah. can be forgiven. And that yeah, and that he calls it evil. Like you meant evil in verse twenty. Yeah, so thank you guys so much for joining me. This whole conference is called Glimpses of Grace, and I hope our time together could be a small, imperfect way that our forgiveness of one another can be a glimpse of the grace of God. So let me pray for us, and then it is lunchtime with your small groups. So, Father, thank you so much um, that you have extended forgiveness to us. Um, 
Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember what was done on the cross um, and that, that we can come to you and ask. Um, and Lord, would you help us now as we go out, um, help us to, yeah, forgive one another. Um, again, as there's probably going to be need for it today. Um, help us to recognize it and to turn to you for help in it. And would you bless our time together with our small groups now. Help us to process everything we've been learning this weekend so far. And we praise you for this time. And all this I pray in your son's name. Amen.